Today is May 21st, 2013. This is Amy Begley interviewing Patty Dillon, formerly Catalano, for the RRCA Women Pioneers of Running Oral History Project. Patty is best known for holding the American record for every distance from the five miles to the marathon, except for the 25K, and she was called one of the best female runners in the 70s and 80s. Hello, Patty. Hi, Amy. And you have an interesting story about how you started running. So why don't you tell me what age you were and, and how you started running? Oh, gosh. Well, I started running around the age of 23. Didn't run in high school or grammar school. They did, they wouldn't have it in, at that time. And I started running at 23 because I got really fat. And I felt really bad about myself. <laughs> so I thought the one way that to... To get happy and everything was to start running, but I didn't really start running to run. I hit a calendar, and I uh, called it the Be Nice to Patty campaign. And in the calendar, like the clock, I made a clock, and I had my work time, what time I went to work, what time I came home, how long it took me to get to work, the what I did in my free time, what I usually just slept because I was either sleeping over sitting um, off my my escapade, <laughs> my partying from the night before. And, you know, that really wears thin after a while. So I had this Be Nice to Patty campaign, and one of the first things I wanted to do, Amy, was to lose weight. And I was, I was walking through a store, a bookstore, and I saw a book called, oh, Fifth... Oh, that wasn't it. Dr. Ken Cooper's book, Aerobics. And I picked it up and I started reading it, and I went through this thing called jogging. And they had Dr. Cooper put out a few things if you could do things for an hour, let's say if you skipped rope or if you ran or you cross-country skied or you rode your bike, you would burn X amount of calories. But one of the things that burnt the most calories was this thing called jogging, which is really running. So... It, uh, he advised to wear your most comfortable pair of shoes, and mine at the time were a pair of earth shoes that had a negative heel. And I got my shoes. I had them cut off jeans. I went down to my father's house, and I got his uh, – my father was a boxer, and he would wear these neoprene belts so he could sweat off his weight in the spring, the weight that he put on in the wintertime. So I did the same thing. I went. And I got his neoprene belt. I put that on and my shoes. And I rode my bike to the one place I knew there wasn't anybody there, which would be the cemetery, really because it was mocked off. I knew it was mocked off by other people talking. Uh, they would walk there or something, and they walked a mile. So I went in there and I ran. And I ran for an hour. And the only reason I stopped, I could have kept going, but the only reason I stopped was because the police officer came over. He drove up in his car and he said, hey, 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 you, what are you doing? And he said, uh, I'm running. And he says, yeah, what are you running from? I said, nothing. <laughs> so I got so scared, I left. <laughs> so I left and I went back to the Y and I weighed myself, and I lost a grand total of three pounds. 
So I thought this was great. And I thought by the end of the week, I would lose this 21 pounds that I was carrying around. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> but that started me. Um, Amy, it was the first time in my life that I ever did anything that nobody could give it to me. Nobody could take it away. And it was mine. And I felt great. I was euphoric. I I loved it. I loved this thing called running. I I mean, I didn't like the act of itself. I mean, it was just horrible. My legs hurt. My got blistered. It was just horrible. But I liked the after effects. And because of the after effects is is why I stuck to it. I didn't run for two weeks later until two weeks later. And then I did the same thing again. (laughs) But, um... I fell in with a group of guys at the local Y shortly thereafter. It didn't take me long. Oh, by the time I ran my third run, I I I had seen them because we all ran around at the same time going out the door. And they were just a great bunch of guys. And they just got through doing or they were getting ready for the, oh, race, the Boston Marathon. They were just getting ready to do that. And I didn't know what a marathon was or anything. I never heard of the Boston Marathon. And I couldn't imagine anybody running that far. And after they ran the race a few weeks later, um, I ran with them again a little bit. I couldn't keep up with them. I only ran like a mile, mile and a half. That's all I could keep up with. And I heard them talking about this marathon and I glibly said that I'm going to do that. I'm going to run this race next year. And then the guy said, well, you know, you have to qualify. And I thought, oh, me and my big mouth. So I said, I'll do that too. But I, <laughs> I really had to qualify. That's how I started doing the, the Newport, Rhode Island race in October. And that's what I did. But, you know, at that time, there weren't, many, there weren't women running. I didn't see women running. I didn't see anybody. I just saw men. And we didn't have, I didn't have, you know, the jog bars they have now or running shorts or the skirt. Well, my daughter would run in a, in a running skirt. It's the cutest little thing. <laughs> She's adorable. But she runs in a little running skirt, and they didn't have any uh, women's gear uh, for, for women back in, uh, you know, like in 76. It was, I just went to the the local Woolworths, and I bought a nylon shirt, I think for two bucks, and um, a pair of shorts, boys, um, baseball shorts. I think they were baseball, or I think they were baseball shorts, a little gym shorts. I bought those for like a dollar fifty, and I had my earth shoes, and there you go. <laughs> it was crazy. Not like they have now. I, I still wear the same thing. I kind of wear regular clothes when I go run now. <laughs> These old timers. <laughs> I run in now. What, what's her name? Daisy Fuentes. Oh. Oh, I love her pants. <laughs> That's why I run in them. They're great. And how long was it, do you think, from the time you started running to that first race? Oh, my first race? Not very long. I started running in March. March 28th was my first day that I ran. I know that because it's near my birthday. And 
that's what I wanted to do was to lose this weight. You know, some people reevaluate their lives and everything or want to improve around uh, New Year's. But I usually do it around my birthday. So uh, let me see. The local Y had – I know the dog's out. Go ahead. The local Y had a five-mile road race. It must have been – oh, gosh. It was after the Boston Marathon. It must have been in May. Must have been in May was my first was my first race because everybody was all the guys were going to do it and I I said sure why not and I did and I ran a twenty eight forty seven and all I knew is that I was just going to keep going and keep going and keep going and it was oh it hurt it hurt a big it hurt a lot and I won which was great and then after I finished and I won. Uh, some of the guys came, I asked, you know, is that good time? And they said, oh, my gosh, you broke six minutes a mile. And I was like, well, what's six minutes a mile? I had no idea what was what. And it could have even been a short course. Who knows? But the thing of it is I ran and I won, and it felt great. It really it felt great afterwards. Um, it felt awful during the race, but it felt good afterwards. And I learned, was my first time learning that winning feels good. <laughs> winning feels great. So I did that, and then um, I had to qualify for the Boston Marathon. So I had to do the Newport, Rhode Island Marathon, which was in October. And I had not had, I only did. They said I had to run long, but I really didn't know how to run long or want to run long because I thought I was going to die, have a heart attack or something, to run two hours. I thought, oh, my gosh, that's crazy. But I did do it. I did it once, and it was okay. But then I took, like, a, like the rest of the week off because I thought I was really going to have a heart attack. <laughs> so I did that, and I, I got my uh, – I. Did I did Newport, Rhode Island? I got my qualifying time in. I ran a 253.40, and again I had people come on over to me, and you know I had won, and they said, "Oh my gosh, you realize how fast that is?" And I said, "No, I don't. I don't care." But I met Sarah Mae Berman there, and she came in and she said, "Who are you?" And I, I had my, I was trying to take my shirt off, and I don't know I, about you, but I couldn't lift my arms up over my head. My neck and my shoulders were so sore from pumping my arms. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't lift my, so here I am struggling to take my shirt off, and Sarah May is going, who are you? How come we never heard of you? And I said, I don't know. So she asked where I came from and went, you know, who did I run for, all these questions. And, um, you know, I was just a little nobody who I worked full time. I just wanted to lose weight, and I did. I went from, let me see, March of 76, I weighed 152 pounds, and then when I did my first marathon, I weighed 107. So I did lose the weight. And it was great, and I changed my lifestyle. I learned that I really didn't want to go out after work. I got out of work at 1230, and a lot of the times um, the girls and I would go out 
and get, you know, get last call at the pub down the way. And would get last call and I'd get like two or three schlitz and nurse it and stay there until about two and then go home. And then you wake up around noon and then go to work at three, three thirty. And, but I stopped going out because I really wanted to go out the next day to get my run in. Isn't that great? So I stopped drinking. I stopped hanging out with those girls. I stopped hanging around with different, you know, with people who were, I thought would threaten my running because I really wanted to run. It just felt so good. So then I had to qualify. I couldn't run Boston until, let me see, I missed 77. 76, I just didn't, I just heard about it. Like, I'm not going to, you know, a month later or something. I'm not going to do that. Or three weeks later. Let me see, I missed 77. I had my knee operator on. Yep. I missed 78. Wait a minute. Um, I think I had my knee. I think I had my knee operated in '78. I forget which, but um, one. I know. Huh? In, um, I know in the in '78 you do, 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 you won Honolulu in '78 and you ran the New England cross country and won that versus Lynn Denning. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I think '77 is when you had your knee surgery. Yep, missed Boston. 1977, you missed Boston because of knee surgery. Yep. I, okay, um, yeah, I had a tumor, you know, I had a Baker's cyst removed. In 78, I missed. I wasn't able to run Boston until 79. And I was very happy to do that. But, yeah, in the meantime, you see, Charlotte Lettuce got a hold of me. Oh, where did she get a hold of me? Oh, at the Newport Marathon, like in October. She said I should go out and try and run cross country. I thought she was nuts. Well, I did it, and I got a third, and I was so mad at myself. I did the New England Championships. Let me see. Charlotte won it. Who got second? Cindy. Is it Cindy? Ah, I see her face, but I can't name her. And I got third, a distant third, and I finished so mad (laughs) because it was a sprint. It was only 3.1, and it was cross-country, of course, but... Oh, I was so mad that I couldn't keep up. So the following year, I did it. I knew nobody was going to beat me that year. I I really wanted it. And then Lynn Jennings showed up. (laughs) But in any case, during that time, um, there wasn't really for – there was a lot of support for women as individuals, not for women as a whole. Do you know what I mean? Yep. The I had my own little support group. I was uh, more or less like a, I guess like a novelty. I kind of, I really liked it. I liked being that sheltered, protected. I liked being asked questions. I liked um, trying to fight my way into the group and trying to stay with the group, which would become my my um, thing all year, I mean, all my running career, always finding a group of guys and always latching on and always struggling to keep up until I could keep up. <laughs> and then I knew I would be in shape because, you know, I mean, when you run with a bunch of people, how, how many girls can you, how many girls can you run with now, Amy? When you were training, yeah, I mean, when you were training and stuff, did you run with a group of girls, a group of women? 
the most we ever had on our team at one time was three. Oh, see? I could go out with a group, like uh, the Brandeis cross-country team or the Northeastern cross-country team, BU cross-country team, Harvard. And if I really wanted to have a tough week, I would run with each group once a week. And I would get pulled along. And these guys, they weren't fooling around, you know. They're, you know, young whippersnappers. And, of course, if I was the only girl in the group, of course the pace was going to go, like, under, you know, close to six minutes or under. You know, if you do that for an hour, <laughs> you're bound to get in some kind of shape, or if not dead. But I really enjoyed um, all of that. But on the other side of things, it was hard. I had uh, other women tell me that I was taking trophies away from little kids, that I'm going to get big. I'm going to get big muscles. Uh, when I had my knee problem, I saw 11 doctors. Here I am. I worked in a hospital. I was a nurse's aide. I worked in a hospital. I saw 11 doctors. It was only the 11th one that told me all the others had, were uh, chastising me to because I was running. Did I know what I was doing to my body? I would never have children. Women not made to run. I belong barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. It was just horrible, absolutely horrible. And I was just really quiet. I didn't, you know, I just uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, uh-huh, mm-hmm, and didn't pay any mind, just went on to the next doctor. And in the meantime, I really had this pain in my knee that would come and go, and at times I could feel like a lump. And I would tell them, and they would say, I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. So it was the 11th doctor, and he was talking to me, and he asked, well, how far do you run? I said, well, I try to run seven miles, and tomorrow I hope to do um, a long run, you know, 10 miles, but I can't because this knee keeps hurting off and on. So he said, I think I feel something. I'm not sure. But he was very encouraging to me, Dr. Schiffman. And he sent me to the Brookline in Massachusetts, the Brookline Sports Center, where I met Dr. Rob, Rob Roy McGregor. I don't know if you know this, but Dr. Rob Roy McGregor was part of the founding person for Etonic Shoes, the running shoes. They did tennis, but they were breaking out into the running the running. And I, I saw him. And then he referred me to another doctor oh, who was athletic-minded. He was some baseball player and who was a orthopedic guy. And he was at, let me see, Beth Israel Hospital in Boston. And I went to see him, and sure enough, I, he said I had a Baker's cyst. He could operate on it, and da-da-da-da-da. And he did, and that was my first taste of going through all these well-educated men and the majority of them telling me not to run, I shouldn't run, running's not good for women, it's not good for the womb, it's not good for the children, I should be in the kitchen, I should be barefoot. And here I am, you know, for years I've had people tell me what to do, to shut up, that I was stupid, that I shouldn't go to college, I couldn't do anything. And for once, <laughs> this running made me feel so good that I was not going to let anybody take it away from me. And so that's why I continued. And that's why I still do it today. 
I, I did a two hour run Monday. Last Monday. Isn't that great? Nice. Yeah. I nearly killed myself, but I did it. <laughs> and so after you had the Baker cyst out, the knee yep. did it ever bother you again? Uh, no, it didn't. It has never bothered me again. I had, uh, I got married in, at that time. I was married, and I got married in August when I started running. And I got divorced shortly after the Newport Marathon. And so I went to my operation. I was still with him. And I think it was by that spring I was divorced. I was married less than a year. No, it didn't. I, I separated, but he wouldn't give me a divorce. That was it. Um, because I was his. And I wasn't going to leave him. So he wouldn't give me a divorce, which um, uh, almost went two years. He almost, yeah, we couldn't get divorced for two years. And my running was helter-skelter because I had to, my training, I tried to keep my training but I had to try to go from house to house. I stayed with people for my safety. And then when I felt I was okay, I, I got my own place. And we got divorced, which was really good. But it was kind of what, I don't think I had to show up. I think just my lawyer had to go. I think I did it that way. I can't remember. It was so long ago. Wow. Either that, I just really blocked it out. <laughs> then, um, and so with your running, you in um, in 1978, you you won Honolulu Marathon, and then in '79, you ran Boston, and you were second to Joni. Um, and then in 1980. Um, you ran the Boston Marathon, and that's also when you first got your Nike contract. Is that right? Yes. I got it afterwards. Yes, I did. Let me see. Let me see. Okay, I did. I did Boston, and right before September, I think I signed because I was going out to the Montreal Marathon to run against uh, Jackie and some other girls, and Nike was dead set on giving me, making sure I had a Nike shirt on. And it didn't get to me in time, but there was a clause in my contract that the Nike was only covered for United States, not international. So I wore Billy's gear. <laughs> oh my gosh I can't believe I did that but I did I really wanted to wear Billy's gear and I was kind of happy that uh, Nike couldn't send my shirt I didn't get it in time you know the AW shirt and I really liked Billy's gear I was wearing it anyways and I trained a lot and then I raced in it well the low key races not not the big races you know, I had to wear Nike gear, but the low-key races around in my own hometown, I was wearing Billy's gear. And the – so I wore it. I, I said there was a clause, and I said – I asked the lawyer who drew up the contract and everything. 
I asked, he said, no, Patty, you don't, you're not covered. You're, this is only for United States, and Canada is not United States. You can wear whatever you want. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to wear Nike shoes. But that would have been a, a big faux pas if I didn't wear Nike shoes in that race. But so I wore Billy's gear, and I wore Nike shoes, and I had signed, and then I went to... Yes, yeah, so when I won the Honolulu Marathon, that was a big step for me. Julie Brown, we raced against each other in Nike, the um, OTC Marathon in Eugene. And Julie Brown ran. She won. She did a New American record, and I was a distant second. I mean, once I fell apart, I just, you know, I just hold form. I just try to hold form and look pretty, not like death. <laughs> So I was holding form, and I did get a PR, and I was so mad at myself that I got a PR by such a short little minute or two, all that work, all that time, and all I got like a minute PR. Little did I know how, you know, how big a minute can be in a marathon. You got to work hard. And... Her prize was to go to the Honolulu Marathon because it was the sister marathon of Nike, and they didn't exchange. She didn't want to go. I heard, oh, gosh, it was like right around Thanksgiving. I had been training, you know, okay, still getting my long runs in, though, because I like running long. And I got a call, and Nike said that uh, whereas Julie Brown didn't want to go, she was forfeiting it. That of course I finished second. It would go to me. Did I want to go? I was like, Yeah, I want to go. All I have to do is a marathon. Sure, I'll go. Oh boy, Amy! Whenever that airplane door opened in Honolulu Airport, it was like an oven. Oh my gosh, it was crazy. I had never felt that intense humidity heat in my life. It was awful. And I said, All right, I'll do it. And then I went to the, let's see, what did they have? At the Capilani Park, they had like a pre-race thing the week before. And I went, I had just flown in, I went to the little, ga- you know, the gathering they had, and I saw the trophy, and I saw Jackie Hansen's name, I saw Kim Merritt's name, and uh, what's her name, June, oh, the Hunky Bunch girl, June. I saw her name, and the person saw me. I, I must have taken my finger, and I must have been going down the, pla- you know, the trophy on the plaque. And somebody came up to me, and he said, you know, they always bring the winners back. And I looked at him, and I said, really? And he said, yes, they do. And I said, okay. So I knew that no matter what, no matter what it took, I was going to win that race. <laughs> and I did. And I won. I set a new course record just to be doubly sure. I found it. I forget what the course record was. Oh, gosh. Maybe it was a – oh, sorry, Tess. Sorry. I'm on the swing. Sorry, Tess. Um, what was the winning time? I think it was a 2.40. I forget what the time was. But uh, Kim Merritt had it, and I was bound and determined. I found out what, the, what I had to run, 
And my coach is telling me, Patty, don't worry about it. Just run. It's so hot. It's so humid. You don't know. Anything can happen out there. Just just run it. And he said, don't try to do two things. If you can win it, win it. But don't try to win it with a course record time. Just run it. Well, I must have chewed on that for days until I settled in my mind that I could do it. And I did. And then, of course, they brought me back out again and again and again and again. And then I've been back there. But they brought me back out six times so far. I mean, other than the marathon, which is really nice. But that was the start. Huh? And that and that was the start. And you got the course record four times in Honolulu, the marathon that I have. Yes. It was really nice. It was always my... Um, not that I wasn't prepared. You're always once you're started marathoning, you're always in marathon shape. Uh, Robert T. Costello told me he said uh, Robert T. Costello he said that he was always within a month of a marathon. He could go do a marathon. You have to make sure that you're in that kind of shape year round. That if something happened, if somebody offered you to do a marathon and you had a month, you could do it. So I always, I remembered that, and I said, okay, I'll try to do that. So the Honolulu Marathon for me was always, always at the end of my season. It was not a race that I geared for. It was a race that um, I knew I could handle. (coughs) And I was never sure that I could win, but I knew how to run the race. I knew how to run that course, and I loved the course. I loved the heat and humidity. I run very well in humid conditions. And I think once you win something, you just, I just kind of, it was mine, and I think I would have died if anybody tried to take it away from me. <laughs> it's a different kind of thinking. I was I was not going to let it relinquish, but I didn't really, of course I raced as hard as I could that day, but I mean, I didn't prepare for it. Like, I had um, a fall marathon to do. You know, and in between that, let me see, the first time I did uh Houston Marathon too. I would do Newport. I would I did New York. Let me see, how did I do this? I did Montreal Marathon in September. I did New York in October. And this is nineteen eighty? Yep. Eighty or eighty one. Yeah, eighty. I did I did Boston, got second. I did. Uh, in 1980, I have that Gret won, and but you got the American record in the 1980 New York. Is that? Yeah, right? I did the American. Okay. And I did the American record the month before in September, Montreal. I did. Okay. Um, yep, I did 2:30. And at this point, Nike has given you a contract, and they yep. have the athletic quest at this point. And tell me about the contract with Nike, and they wanted you to move to Eugene, and and you just oh. run on your terms. Yeah, tell me, yeah. tell me that Nike contract contract story. Okay, well, um, let me see. Mary Decker had signed. I, of course, the, in the running world, everybody was the talk of it was that people Nike was going to do this project, and they're going to divide the country up, and they were going to have um, they're going to call it Athletics West. And all the people, if you were chosen, you would move out to Eugene. 
Well, I didn't want to go out to move Eugene, but I, I found it kind of exciting. So I was waiting to see if I would be one of the people they would select. But I wasn't sure because, you know, road racing was just so new that people really didn't know what to do with the road runners. And the uh, track people were really jealous of us because we were getting PR, we're getting the paper, we're getting some money, under-the-table money, we're getting airfare, more so than the track people. See, the track people, you had to, they had to deal with the sprinters. And the sprinters got a lot of the money, or the Santa Monica Track Club got a lot of money because of Kyle Lewis. So the track, the track people, was the track people were against the road people, and the road people were just, you know, like, I don't know, they would do their track season or their cross-country season and pop in a race here and there. Well, anyways, I heard that Miri Decker signed, and I was like, wow, Miri Decker, okay, they're going after people like that. And then sure enough, um, I was the first uh, female roadrunner to sign a pro contract. Little did I know that I was first. You don't even think of things like that because I would ask for way more money. <laughs> I could have used another house. <laughs> I would ask for more. But, you know, you're just happy. You know, it's, I don't know. I just didn't want to worry anymore. Here I am one time. I'm on a beach in Maui after I won the Honolulu Marathon because Nike brought us out to spend a week in Maui. And we're drinking like $80, $100 bottles of wine. And I don't have any money at all. I'm like eating bologna sandwiches at home. And I thought, this is crazy. I was laying on the beach and go, this is crazy. Here I am. I'm in this luxurious hotel. I have room service. I can call and get anything I want to eat or drink. And not that I didn't drink that much there because, you know, I was coming away from that lifestyle, and I thought everybody who did was stupid. But in any case, because I didn't want to miss my runs. In any case, um, I thought it was crazy, and I said, you know, if they could just take this money that they spent on me for this week, that's probably two months' worth of rent, and they could, I could spend two months on that. I could live two months on that money. You know what I mean? Yes. That's how I was thinking, and I thought, you know, all right. See, I'm a, I was a little older than these people. Some of the people were only 19, 20 years old, and I'm already 24, 25, because I didn't start running until I was 23. But I was thinking, because I had been working full-time since I was 14. You know, after school, I worked 3 to 11 as a nurse's aide, and I thought, you know, this is crazy. If I could just... What could I do if I didn't have to, like, work? What could I do if I had decent food to eat? Well, in any case, I was really thrilled a bit that um, they called. Uh, I got called, and it was during Lorraine Moeller won the Nike Marathon. I was second or third, and that was when I signed the contract. I could have signed it earlier, like in June, during the Cascade runoff. Um, but I kind of wasn't ready. I was still negotiating with, um, uh, well, not really negotiating. Well, my lawyer put out feelers, like Converse made an, a nice offer, and Adidas made a nice offer, too. But I didn't like their shoes. And Alberto had ran, I heard that when Roberto Salazar switched over to Converse, he wasn't getting, you know, his pay in a timely manner which I found a little unsettling. 
of course, I would love to have run for Congress because of, you know, Chrissy Everett. <laughs> she ran for Congress, you know, Congress. I mean, she played tennis for Congress. It was really good. In any case, I ended up signing with Nike for less money than what Converse offered, but still a very nice deal. I mean, I could live pretty nicely off of that today. You know, um, I bought my house. I had my house built, my first house built. Oh, I got a car, um, you know, outfitted it from top to bottom, had a computer, had games already, you know, a little Pac-Man game was the only thing that was out. <laughs> But, you know, I was in computer I had in my own house. Um, you know, it was just really um, crazy. I was 26 years old, just started running, and I went from 23 years old losing, you know, like 45, 50 pounds, and here I am. <laughs> and, then, and, they, and then you went and ran... Um, and then you went and ran the Boston Marathon in 1981 and got the American record. Uh, the Boston Marathon in 1981 was was the funny story with um, with you and the horse. So tell about the 1981. Oh, isn't that? Oh, well, you know. Oh, come on, come up. My um. Okay, I had trained hard all year. I went. I was so adamant that I was going to win this race, do or die. I and I. I crossed the finish line with Joni, didn't win, I got second. Crossed the finish line with Jackie, didn't win. I said, I have another year. Excuse me. Buckley, come. So I trained like the Dickens, even harder, you know, more races, got faster, set so many American records or world records en route. But it didn't really mean anything to me because I was always imaging in my mind the Boston Marathon. And I would... The last 5K, well, the last four miles, really, the four or three miles, I can't even remember now, when you take the last left-hand turn in Cleveland Circle, I was to, like, run like the Dickens. That was my race from that point all the way to the finish line, and I had miles, you know, certain areas. Uh, I'd work the downhill at the ice cream factory, and I would just hold my own into Boston Common and then, like, go nuts. Well, it didn't work out like that. Here I am. I'm running. I'm in the lead. Everything is right on. I am right on. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Unfortunately, um, having run Boston two years prior and watching it the other two years, I knew the crowd control was not very good. And... When you come off the summit, off of Comav and go onto Beacon Street, you take that left-hand turn. There was only Amy. There was only enough room for one runner to get through. There was that. The people were that deep. Now Billy had his store in Cleveland Circle, and the people who lived in the apartments above the store all knew us. They knew us all. So when I went through, I heard Patty, Patty. It was great, you know. And you can't acknowledge them, but you get, like, I got goosebumps. I got a thing up the back of my neck. And people, are, there's guys hanging off the, the stoplight there. And I'm coming through. And for the last couple of miles, all I'm saying is, excuse me, please, excuse me, please, excuse me, please, you know, so I can get through. And I went to go through, and I had to turn my body at an angle, and 
uh, one per, um, I smashed. I could, I didn't see it. I couldn't see it at all. But I smashed in the back end of a horse. <laughs> and the people were so crowded. It was so crowded that I didn't fall, like, to the ground because it was that packed. As a matter of fact, I had two runners catch me. One was Paul Oborowski, who was a great Boston track club guy, and he just grabbed me and passed me on to Tommy Dederian. And Tommy Dederian caught me, and he just, like, passed me on to and I'm, like, standing there, like, oh, my gosh. And I knew I had to keep running. I just, I don't know what happened. I just got into gear. And I'm collecting myself, and I'm running, and I'm running, and then as I'm trying to get my equilibrium back, Ellison Rowe passed me. And I remember in my mind shouting, no, no. <laughs> but she went off. She's gone. I could see her go with her black shirt and her white gloves, and she's gone. I can see her, and I just, I don't, I don't have it in me. I just, my, I don't have my bearings yet to, to go. I had, remember, I had my, my breath knocked out of me, um, as funny as it seems, you know, the, the, I, you know, the back end of the horse, I hit his right hind leg, his rump, on the right side of the tail. And it hurt my shoulder, it hurt my rib, and it hurt my right hip. And then when Tommy caught me, of course, you know, you're, he, he squeezed the dickens out of me, you know, because he was, you know, when you're running, you're charging, and you have strength, and, I, you know, he, I was going to fall, and he, he caught me. Well, by the time I caught myself back together, she was already going, you know, lost in the crowd. I could see the wave, you know, the people shouting, and I could see her going up and down in the slopey hills. And the next thing on my, I remember thinking, saying, close the gap. I got to close the gap. I got to close this gap because I, one thing to lose, you know, it's one thing to lose, and it's so easy to give up and to quit and get lost in the crowd and especially in road racing, you can lose time. But I had worked so hard and I to stay aware of time, uh, what it feels like to run tired, what it feels like to, you know, to run dehydrated or hurting. But I, nothing prepared me for what I had what I had just gone through, other than I just remember close the gap, close the gap, close the gap, and that's what I was racing. I was racing mm-hmm. to close the gap so that I wouldn't be embarrassed. <laughs> I wouldn't be embarrassed that she stomped me. I mean, how awful! I don't get stomped. <laughs> <laughs> so I finished, and it was a new American record, and it was like ho hum. I was mad. I was hurt emotionally. Mentally, I was just tired. I had more left. I knew I had more left because I didn't use everything up mentally for, I was so prepared those last four miles to anything. I was prepared for to be, have pickups, have surges come on me. I was so prepared to have people come on me um, because I had a reputation of, um, People really didn't know if I would finish the race or not. Not finish the race. I would always finish the race. That uh, if I would get off pace or not, because at the beginning of my career, I would go out like the Dickens and you know piddle off at the end. But I would always finish. And but I was getting stronger and stronger as months went by. And I thought for sure if they're going to get me, because I was leading for so long, 
that now would be the time. And I couldn't get Allison. I finished. And I went underneath. Oh, this is the other part. You have to understand, at the time, I was a big basketball fan. And I had season tickets from Larry Bird, gave um, the publicist for the Celtics uh, tickets so that I could have them. So I got two tickets right across from the Celtics on the floor, right across from their team. It was great, absolutely great. So I uh, I had made friends with some of them, like Dave Collins, whom I admired, and Eric Fernston and ML Carr and Rick Roby. And these guys, uh, the day before the marathon, they picked me up at my apartment in a white Rolls Royce. And I had like two dozen of white roses and a bottle of champagne. They took me, uh, the car took me to the North End to uh, Mama, Mama Leone's, I think, or Mama, it's still there now, I forget. I haven't been there for so long. The pizzerina there. And they had a party for me. And then the car took me back to Hoppington, to my place that I was going to stay. So the day of the marathon, after the marathon happened, I went down into the what do you call it, into the Peru garage, and I'm looking for my coach. Oh, no, that's not the story. My sisters, now you have to understand, I come from a very difficult family, and when I crossed the finish line, Amy, I, I didn't know. I saw my time, it was like 2.27, and I, I remember just swearing under my breath, you know, like, oh, crap, this is, oh, I have to do another year. That's all I saw ahead of me was another year of just grinding it out being unsettled well when I finished nobody said a word in my mind it was it was dead quiet people just looked at me and I kind of went oh because I had come out in the papers and said you know I wanted to win and all this and of course if you say that and then you don't and you know they go oh she didn't win well it was really quiet and as I crossed the line I heard my name and I looked up, and I, you know, I have a police officer on each side of me, and they're trying to help. You know, they're not that they have to, but they're helping me into the into the area where you can go down to the garage. And I hear my name, and I look up, and they say, "Hey, how do they get in here?" And I said, "Oh, no, 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 that's all right. They're my sisters." And coming up the chute, they jumped the fence. All three of them. I have four sisters, but three of them showed up that day, and. All I remember them saying, my name, Patty, Patty, we love you. And I, I we burst into tears. And that's the picture everybody sees. And it's the picture. It's a beautiful picture. Unfortunately, the caption says that I was crying that I got second, but I wasn't. Um, I hadn't seen my sisters in like four years, five years maybe. And to see them in this you know, so out of context for me that they would run up the chute and say, I love you. You know, it was just, it was great. And I left them. I said, I have to go find my coach. And I went down to the, the Peru Center there. And I see Dave Collins, who was the Center for the Boston Celtics. And he picked me up like a rag doll picked me up over his head like a little girl, and he said, you did great. I love you. I love you. You did awesome. And he put me down, and Joe was there. I looked over. I went over to Joe. Uh, Dave had left, and I just said, I'm sorry. I'm just so sorry. And he folded his arms, and he looked at me, and he said, 
Patty, I just don't know what to do with you. Oh, Amy, I just broke. I just sat, there was a door there. I just sat down on the little edge of the door, and I, I just broke. Absolutely awful. Awful, awful, awful. Never mind that I re-injured the horse. Never mind that I set a PR. Never mind that it was a new American record. I was just, that was it for me. I was done. And let me see, that was Monday. Um, there was just a small celebration, not really. Um, I, I was very unhappy. I was very choky, you know, mad, hurt. Um, I it was just only me and Joe and um, a couple of people from the Celtics front office. And I left. I had to go to a chiropractor, so I, I went Tuesday. We had appointments so I could have adjustments for my my right side. I was bruised all the way down my right side. And the Travera twosome was going to be that Saturday. And I told Joe to call Fred LeBeau that I wanted to run. And he said, no, you can't run. He says, look at you. And I said, I'm going to run. Call him or I will. Well, Joe didn't. I called. I called him Wednesday, and I told him I wanted to run. He said he didn't have any money for me, and I said it was fine. All I ask is for a room. And he said, let me see if I can get you a partner. And he got a partner, and I said that was great. He called me back on a partner. The next day, Thursday, he said the, he heard back from my partner he doesn't want to run with me because he wanted to win it. And whereas I just finished the marathon, um, he didn't want to take any chances. So Fred said, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, yes, I'm telling you, I'm going to run it. And I think I, I think I said I was going to win it. I think I told Fred that. I was so adamant that people were questioning me, including this race director, and that I – so he said, okay, I'll find you a partner. Well, word got out in the running community that uh, Joe took me to the uh, BC track, and I had to do three repeat miles just to see if I could do it. Um, for I couldn't do anything fast because of my breathing on my right side, and he knew my reflexes. You're not as sharp. I couldn't do a my fastest quarter is only 67, so I you know for me to hold 72s is pretty good. The, I couldn't do 70, 72, it was just the leg turnover. So he told me to do three sub-five-minute miles. So I said, okay. So I did. And I did, I like a 459 point, 459 point, 458 point. And you have to understand, my fastest time is only 451. So I did that, and Thursday I heard from... Herb Lindsay. Herb Lindsay said, Patty, I understand you're looking for a partner for the Trevera Tucson. And I said, yes, I am. And he said, I'd be honored to be your partner. And I said, oh, that's great. Okay, okay, we're going to win it. And he said, no, no, you take it easy, young lady. You just made a marathon. Anyways, I got there Friday, met him. We had a press conference, showed up Saturday. Let me see, who was there? Betty Jo Springs, cross-country girl. You know, a road runner, NCAA champion. Same thing with Margaret Gross. 
And I didn't give a hoots banana who was there. <laughs> so I took it out. I took it out in 448, and I just kept going. I kept leaning. I would not let either one of these girls, I had, them over, I had one on each side of me, just off my shoulder. And I wasn't going to let either one of these girls take any kind of lead, not even their thumb in my peripheral vision or their hair, or their, I didn't want to feel their breath on me. So I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing, and I, they dropped just before the 10K mark. I knew, Amy, at one time that if, um, if I was going to race these college girls, that if I pulled them close, if not their PR for 10K, even if it was a 15K, K, I, they wouldn't be near me. They was like, oh, my gosh, that's my PR. I can't run that fast. <laughs> Isn't that awful? Well, anyways, that's what I did. And little did I know that my whole world would blow up at seven miles. And I think that's where I started rupturing my uh, plan of fascia. I had my, my plan of fascia operator on less than a year later, but that's when it first started giving me problems. And I ended up winning. Uh, the American record at that time was 53.40, and I ran a, which I held, and I ran a 53.42. Um, and you you said that um, that 1980 and 1981 were the great years, and they they definitely were because um, just for Boston in '79 you were second to Joni, and '80 you were second to Guru, and '81 you were second to Roe. But in 1980, record, um, in 1980, you got the American record at New York. You got the American record at Boston. The 15K American record. The five I got the American. Record. I got the. Yep, I got the American record for the marathon again. I did it in Boston, and then I did it in Montreal, and then I did it in New York. Yep, in 1980, yeah. you had it in. Um, in 1980, in Montreal, you ran 230.57. In 1980, yep. in New York, you ran 229.33. Uh-huh. And then in 1981 in Boston, you ran to 27.51. Yeah, so that's good. And according to the other records that I found, um, in 52 weeks, you held the American record for everything from 5 miles to the marathon except the 25K. You also had the world record in the half and the 30K. And you ran 48 races, and you won 44 of them. So I would say 1980 and 1981 were pretty good years for you. Yeah, they were. It was exciting. It was really, really exciting. I had a contract. It was just exciting. I was. It was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. I could do what I wanted to do. I wanted to run. I wanted to go to races. I love the camaraderie of the races. But I learned pretty quickly that the races across the country, you have nice races across the country now, but they weren't anything like the races that we had in New England. <laughs> you know, where I, you know, where each, each time I would go to a new town or a new state with a new town, of course these new towns had their, their star runner. You know, and I would always hear from her little, her group of guys that she ran with, and they protected, and they talked about, hey, we have so-and-so over here. Did you know she's really fast? She just did a 512 mile. And me thinking, I didn't poo-poo any of this. I would be like, uh-huh. All I saw and heard 
was another me coming. <laughs> and I was afraid of me. <laughs> I was always afraid of the unknown, the unknown factor of being um, a, a girl who is giving and making herself an opportunity to run and to express herself into like me and and then somebody like me is coming into her area and this is her time to kick my butt like I kicked Kim Merritt's butt. Um, Kim Merritt and Gail Barron, two cast Boston Marathon winners, came into the Legs Mini. It wasn't called the Legs Mini then. It was called the Bonnie Bell in Boston. And I was bound and determined. I was so scared. And I really wanted to beat them. I didn't have a clue about what I was going to run, but I really had my heart set, my mind set on beating them. And I got beat. I got second. Joan, uh, what's your name? Lynn Jennings beat me. Oh, my gosh, this little high school girl. I was beside myself. <laughs> but, I, you know, because I beat Gail Barron and I warmed down with Gail, and I asked a whole bunch of questions. And so, Amy, when I went to a new town or a new place, I was and I was training through, you know, like training through. I don't think there's ever such a thing as a training through. You put out an effort, and the effort is always an effort. Okay, so you hold 540 pace or 520 pace or 510 pace. You know, how much did it take out of you? Did I have to go tap into my, my race reserve? You know, I could do a hard workout, but if I had to tap into my race reserve for um, because I was nervous, <laughs> and a couple of times I had to, and I would end up winning, um, and these girls would finish second to me. You know, the, the local star girl would finish second to me, but she would be, you know, a minute, two minutes, three minutes behind me and something, and I'd be all worried. <laughs> I said, I didn't have to go that hard after all. I was just so afraid that she'd be, like, within two minutes of me. Goodness forbid. <laughs> oh, that was so crazy. But um, and that was the biggest thing. And you also told the story about um, mm. running against Greta Waits, and, and you went to Norway with them at one point. Is that right? Yes, I did. It was a very exciting time. What a great – this was – it was really exciting. I had just ran, oh, I missed my world record by a second, two seconds, four seconds, four seconds. I missed it by four seconds. And at the half marathon, I did Montreal, set a new American record. I ran a 2.30. And two weeks later, I did the half marathon in uh, Manchester, Vermont, which is very hilly. And I it was real. It was 80 degrees. It was one of those hot fall days. It was 80 degrees. It was humidity, and Mikey Roach and all these guys were they were just dropping like flies because I could see the lead woman's car was filling up with these. The press truck was filling up with these guys, and I missed my record. Not that I was trying for it, you know. It was just the long, you know, hard, and. I did that, and Sarah Pelleggi from Sports Illustrated came, and she said she wanted to do, Sports Illustrated wanted to do an article on the up-and-coming star something, you know, the next American star running, 
you know, for Greta, next to Greta Waits. And I was like, what? Really? <gasps> That's me? Oh, my gosh. I was beside myself. And she came and she watched the race. And that during between Montreal and two weeks later, the Manchester Half Marathon, uh, we had been in touch with Greta and her husband, Jack, over in Norway. She was going to bring me out to run some cross-country race against her so that I could have more experience, you know, to, to, you know, to run her. And Sarah Pelleggi came out with us. So because I did the half marathon, I flew out the next day to Norway. And that Saturday was my first uh, 10-mile uh, cross-country race. And I managed to do a 53.40. Isn't that amazing? I did my uh, fastest 10, 10 mile time, and it was through a cow pasture. I don't know if you ever ran in a cow pasture, but cow pastures are very lumpy, and it was tall—not tall grass, but it was like mounds of grass here and there. Your footing's not good. It was through a boat yard and then a path. It was awful, and I finished second there to Greta. She brought me out, and Sarah did a big article for Sports Illustrated. It was really quite nice. Mm-hmm. But, you know, women, and I just thought, how come somebody like me um, at that time, um, I always questioned it because there were so many other runners. I had heard about Krista Valenseek. I was afraid of her, a little French girl. And then I heard about Joyce Smith, uh, these girls that were running with um, Dr. Vian Aiken. And I thought, oh, my gosh. These, these, you know, these girls are doing so well, and uh, Jackie Hansen, they were running so fast. And but I, my times were coming down, you know, but I didn't know the person. I would see pictures of them. Jackie Hansen has a nice, she has a good form. She had good concentration, and she had her eyes. Just look at her eyes. You can see her eyes in some of her pictures. Mm-hmm. She could really, she could really pedal it out, you know. So I thought, these girls are really tough. In the beginning of running, not that the girls aren't tough now, but I'll tell you, the girls who went for it, if you look at their eyes, they're tough. (laughs) Tough as nails. (laughs) And if you were going to beat them, you know, or if you're going to race them, you have to be ready to spit blood because they're not going to fool around. They're not just not going to lay down and hand it to you. You know, and if you pull them through a PR, they'll say, well, that's fine. You know, let's go. Can you hold some more? <laughs> you know, those farm girls are different. They're, they're just cut from a different cloth, I think. They're just different. And, and tell me about um, after 1981 and, and through, the, through the rest of your career. Take me through the... Oh, well, I was battling a few things. I I was had an injury... And I didn't know the word plantar fascia. Not too many people did, especially in the running circle. Plantar fasciitis, it wasn't coming around. Nobody really around knew really what the symptoms were because my pain in my foot would come and go. And somebody said to me over time, they said, you know, Patty, are you sure you still want to run anymore? And I said, yes, I do. He said, well, you know, it just seems every time you have to do a hill workout or a track workout, you your foot hurts, so you end up not doing it. But you can come out here and you can run a 10-miler. And I said, well, yeah, but I can't get up on my toes. 
And so I took that to heart, and so I started forcing things. And I got a hold of a TENS unit. A TENS unit was something that it said electrical pulses for deep massage in, in your muscles things. Mm-hmm. So I, the lady who had one, who the physical therapist where I worked out, I had held it. She had it on the highest she's ever put it on an athlete, and I still didn't flinch with pain. And I was doing that. I couldn't run 10 miles anymore. I was lucky if I could do 10 minutes. So I was taking therapy hours a day, ice, soak, massage, soak, walk, soak, massage, tense unit, and then I would try to go run. And I was lucky if I could get in, you know, 10, 12 minutes and then end up limping back. Well, at the home front, wasn't doing much better either. I started to gain weight. Now, the whole time of my running career, Amy, I was a, I, I had a food disorder. I was a bulimic. And... So I was probably a chronic dehydration, and it's probably why I put so much pressure on my tendons, now that I know this, um, you know, through dehydration. Um, I was putting on the weight, and my coach wasn't happy about it, and I told him what I, what happened, what I was doing, and I told my nutritionist what I was doing, and nobody really believed me. It was like all my fault. So I just said, all right, all right, this is done. I'm absolutely done. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Uh, But my contract wasn't up yet, and Nike was pressuring me to, I had to get in a race, and I thought, didn't I do enough races? I mean, I I can't race right now. I don't want to race. But a contract's a contract. So I did. I ended up uh, running in a 10K. Um, It was okay. I think I did like 34 minutes or something. It was okay. I was really more embarrassed than anything. And then I had to go to another guy to ask him to coach me, Coach Squires. I asked him, Joe and I went to ask him if he would coach me because Joe was my husband and I'm having problems. Maybe it would be better if I heard what I needed to hear from somebody else other than Joe. And Coach Squires we met at uh, MIT. MIT is a very short track, and it's not really banked. It, it's hard on your feet. It's hard on you. Well, I think I did maybe three laps, and I went down. And that's when I ruptured. It ruptured completely, my plantar fascia. And my whole heel, my ankle, my heel blew up like I had a, a water balloon in it. <laughs> mm. It was really horrible. So I, I missed maybe nine, ten months. I had to wait for the info. That was in December. I had to wait almost two months for the information to go down. It didn't go down all the way. Um, but I was really antsy, and Rob Leach said he'd operate on it. So he operated on it in February. I started running again in August or September, and my first run, I got a stress fracture because I wasn't ready to run. He told me not. I just didn't listen. I was just feeling pressured, you know, to get back out there. And I put my foot way over to one side because my foot, my forefoot couldn't handle the, the pressure. So I got a little hairline fracture, which you missed more weeks. And I was gaining weight. I was up to like 125 pounds now. And it just wasn't working, just wasn't working. And I filed for divorce, 
and that didn't go over big. And Nike was going to stop my contract, that payment, when they found out that I had left Joe. So neither one of us, you know, had really money uh, other than, you know, the contract money. So I went back to him, and I stayed there until 83, 84, because then I got ready for the trials. And I really wanted to uh, run the trials in 84. Um, I had given up the hope of ever uh, making a team or anything. I didn't grow up with the Olympics on my mind or, or even for the marathon because Carter uh, boycotted the Olympics for us. And road running was, was kind of lucrative. He was getting lucrative. And the marathon had just got introduced. And it was kind of like over my time. I just kind of wanted to stay to the roads. It just wasn't in my thinking. So anyway, but I did want to go to trials. So I, that was January of 84. I had, I had to qualify at Houston and I ran a 253 flat or something. I had to qualify. I made it by 40 seconds. <laughs> oh, I got my qualifying time in and oh, I raced that thing. That was the hardest race I ever had to run. I raced it. I finished. Oh, that was Ingrid Christensen won it in the 227. Five months after she gave birth. Oh, heavens. And I went to the trials without Joe. And when I came home, I filed for divorce. And I got divorced June 4th. And the contract, uh, it was up. Freddie Doyle from Sockney, he works at Sockney now, uh, called and said, Patty, uh, your contract? And I said, yeah, I know. He said, well, sorry about that. And I said, yeah, that's okay. He said, well, if you want... I can send you some shoes or something. And I said, no. What, are you kidding me? No. <laughs> I don't need Nike shoes. Of course, now I may retract that because I'll take anybody's shoes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and so after my life really on a on an internal level, um, my life really changed inside at Boston 81 with uh, my coach's reaction. He, not only was he my coach, but he was my husband. He was going to be my life partner. And his, I, I didn't know what else to do. I just didn't know what else to do. And I knew I loved running, but I wanted more. And running showed me that there is more to have. I saw some very happy people. I saw some very happy married people with kids that were running. I, you know, and I wanted it. I wanted it for me too. You know, unfortunately, Joe didn't. Um, I had, you know, the coach of my husband. He didn't want children, so I knew that going in. So that was another thorn, that another hurdle that I had to go over. I was gaining weight. I wasn't running. You know, it was hurting to run. I suggested, why don't we start a family? And he reminded me, no, I told you when I married you that we weren't going to have any kids. So, and it all works out. It all works out. I spent, see, when did I get my store? I thought I was going to try for the 88 team. I was in Vermont. But running was not so much of a priority 
racing was not so much a priority anymore. Running was a huge priority, but not racing. And uh, food, I was into getting healthy again. And I just started eating um, whole, you know, organically. Um, I became a macrobiotic diet. I followed the macrobiotic diet for five years. Help strengthen my system and to clean it up, so that I wouldn't be addicted to sweets or salt <laughs> or anything like that. And I finally got my period back. I was menstruating regularly. Um, I was really pretty happy. And then I made another blunder. I married somebody who didn't want kids, who just oh, and that was a blunder. And cause I had a crush on when I was in the seventh grade. And then I said, you know, no more, no more. And I just started running longer and having a lot more fun. I had my store in Vermont. I had a, um, a health food store with um, yeah, a health food store and a restaurant. So that was really nice. And I came back to Boston because I wasn't dating anybody up there. There wasn't anybody really to date. So summer people, and some of the people come with couples, you know. Um, then I met Danny. I met Danny in um, 92. And we got married, and we have two kids. And I'm an at-home mom. Yeah, I know. Isn't it funny how things, as I look back, <laughs> running, I cannot see myself not running. I, I just, I cannot see it. I always think of myself as a runner. I correlate things to my racing on what's important, what isn't important, what can I do, what can I do, how could I do it, and is it worth it? <laughs> a lot of things today nowadays are not worth it. I just, ah, oh, I've been there, done that, not worth it. <laughs> okay, move on to the next thing. <laughs> it sounds like it, it ended up really well and it was a lot of lessons and it was still it was still a really great ride that you had, um, and I know you talked about um, how you know the Boston Athletic Club and, and East Coast, um, you know the clubs were kind of like a lifestyle, and they were they were like a family, um, you know, growing up. And where you're at right now is is running still like that? Is running still a lifestyle? Is still something that you guys do? Oh yeah, um, I just did my uh, two-hour run last Monday. Um, and I've been running ever since. I didn't take any days off, and then today I was just exhausted. <laughs> I went out, and I'm on this beautiful path. It's, I mean, it's beautiful. It's all it's it's rails to trails, and it's all in the middle of the woods. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's in the middle of the woods. And Danny, can, you know, he wants to do a three-hour run on it. And so I was on the path, and I'm out there with my dog, and I can only do 21 minutes. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel awful. I'm an absolute, I had a stomachache. I felt nauseous. I was exhausted. I said, I'm exhausted. So I walked back and, you know, I'll rest today and I'll try again tomorrow. Um, yeah, I missed 10 months. I'm just coming back from missing 10 months. I had a, something was wrong with my knee, uh, my other knee. I don't know. I had a like a lump or something behind it. And I took care of it homeopathically. And it just started to get smaller and smaller, and it went away, and then now I don't feel any pressure. So that's why I started running again. But, you know, I'm always thinking about running. Well, yeah, oh, I see a commercial, or I see, oh, wouldn't that be a nice place to run? Oh, let's go there and do that. 
my daughter and, and Danny, they just did the Ragnar relay with uh, with some friends, you know, 12 of them. That was really nice. And I think Raven, she's going to be 17. She wants to do the Tux 10 in Boston. You know, and she, wa- she wants to run a two-hour. So she's trying to get in shape to do her first two-hour. My son did his first two-hour when he must have been 12. But, uh, yeah, running is, yeah, we just, not so much the racing, because the racing, they're expensive. Yeah. You know, I mean, who can take their kids to go for a race if it's $25? I mean, that's $100. I can't do that. <laughs> I don't have $100. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, we just do it here. And if we do ever want to race, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know, but I just like the running. I like getting fit. You know, I like that feeling. I like this new, this new feeling again. I've had so much time off. I've gained some weight again, and I'm working it off. And pretty soon I'll start lifting weights again and just take it from there. It's a very healthy lifestyle. That's what I like more about it, too. You can, you can pick it up at any time. You know, and it, you know, it's not as easy as it was before because I'm out of shape. But, you know, I see the, the, it's coming. You know, um, I'm putting effort out and I'm only doing nine minutes a mile. <laughs> I want to be caught dead doing nine minutes a mile 30 years ago. <laughs> but today I'll take it. You know, if I can hold nine minutes for an hour and a half, I'm doing something. You know? Yeah. Very cool. So, uh, Patty, this has been a really, a really fun interview with you, as always. Um, is there anything that I missed or that you'd like to add to the interview? Um, that I would like to add. Um, well, I'm thanking God that I was overweight and that I was so unhappy and that I started, I had a little gumption. I wish more women had more gumption. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I really, I really do. I wish they had more gumption and take chances and get out there. Not chances with, you know, with, I don't know, drinking shots or doing pictures with, you know, not those kind of chances. Or, but I mean, athletic chances. Putting it on the line. I think running is the truest form of fitness. It is what it is. Numbers don't lie. <laughs> They don't lie. You can't make it up. <laughs> That's you, true. It, running at running track and field and road races is you know, there's uh, no hiding. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just you and that day. I mean, I don't know how many races that have you you know, you have your you have the distance and you have your time. And it does not have a category that says, I didn't feel well today, it was windy or it was really hot, it doesn't have any of that at all. It is what it is. And if it happened to be hot, then you had to put out an extra effort because you wanted that time, well, then so be it. I just wish that. I wish more people, more women would take more chances like that, have a little gumption. And more women be at-home moms. (laughs) That's my other little pet peeve. I was at a gathering the other day, and... I was sitting next to this woman, and um, somebody said, oh, this is the patty. This is the patty that did Honolulu. And I looked at her and went, oh, hello. 
she's about 70-something, and she says, well, hello. And she says, and what do you do now? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, this is my daughter. I'm an at-home mom. And she said, oh. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, ladies, do you know how hard it is to be an at-home mom? <laughs> well, it's not really that hard. It's just life. Oh, but thanks, Lauren. Um, I think I think we've probably covered it all. I mean, you you had an amazing run. You your start of running pretty much changed your life, saved your life, and it's it's been pretty amazing. And now you're you're happily married with kids and continuing to run and have that be a part of your life. Yeah, it's great. It really is. It really is. My blood pressure is low. My cholesterol is low. I'm a little overweight, but, you know, I'm 60 now. Who cares? <laughs> I stay up a little too late sometimes. I have, sometimes I have dark circles under my eyes. But, you know, other than that, things are great. Excellent. Uh, well, thank you again so much. And um, if there's a, uh, I will keep you updated with the progress of of the project and let you know how things are going. Okay, that'll be great, Amy. Thank you so much. It was great to chat with you. Thank you. You too, and have a great rest of the week. You too. Thank you, hon. Okay. Uh, Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.